with exactly one week until Thanksgiving. Feast week is officially underway. You know, I saw this tweet um, from a guy I actually met at Big East Media Day, and, you know, I've seen him on Twitter God knows how many times. He, he's the man, simply. Russ Steinberg, he tweeted earlier today, you know, this is officially, and I'm going to make sure I get the actual acronym, hashtag, all that correct. So, the way he put it, he said, quote, it is officially watch afternoon college basketball while you work season. Or W-A-C-B-W-Y-W-S for short. So, yeah, with Feast Week, that means afternoon basketball pretty much until Thanksgiving weekend. So up until the conference tournaments, we don't get to see this stuff. So, you know, it's only fitting that, again, a week before Thanksgiving, finally get some afternoon hoops and all these fun, exciting tournaments are underway. And I'm going to break the men's tournaments. I know the Charleston Classic gets started today, which I'll break down later on down the road. And on the women's side, I got some stuff to cover this weekend as the first ever Women's Paradise Jam is tipping off in the Bahamas. So I'm going to cover that and a whole lot more, at least on the women's side of things, here on this brand new episode of The Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. Now, just to set the table for you, Recapping what happened over the past few days. Well, Marquette, as I mentioned, you know, like the last time out, you know, at the time of recording, they were in action against Southern in a Monday matinee game. Game in which the Golden Eagles beat the Jaguars 65-40. to And they were only up 31-25 at halftime. But they held the Jaguars to 15 points in the second half. 15! That's pretty impressive. I don't care if it's Southern or not. That's hard to do. So Marquette, that win boosts them to 3-0. Granted, not a great offensive effort, but hey, win's a win. Got to be happy at 3-0. And you got a lot of balance. This time it was the freshman, Lisa Carlin, leading the way with 12. And he got 10 each from Chloe Murata and Carissa McLaughlin. The bench production in this game, I think, is what stands out the most. As the bench contributed 19 points out of their 65. I think I think that is a very solid rate. And funny thing is, you know, Marquette, you know, when you score only 65 points, like, oh, they probably didn't really shoot that well. Well, from the field, they did. You know, 48% is nothing to sneeze at. They also dominated the glass. They Nearly doubled up Southern in rebounds, 49 to 25. Shooting the three, eh, not great. They only took seven attempts, which is in today's game is absolutely unheard of. They only made two of them, and McLaughlin made both of them. She went two for three, and the rest of the team went 0 for four. 
Southern, on the other hand, credit Marquette's defense was held at 2 of 15 from three-point range and just 27% from the floor. None of their players hit double figures. The closest they got was a team-high nine from Nakia Kinsey. You know, Southern played a lot of players off the bench. And they scored 17 points, which is nearly half their scoring. So Marquette, yeah, 3-0 start with all those wins coming at the Al. Uh, meanwhile, DePaul, they're, they were unfortunately beaten for their first loss of the season. Going on the road to play 24th-ranked Texas A&M in College Station. Aggies win a shootout, 95-75. to I mean, we knew DePaul was going to play a high-paced game against them. And who was better at the high-paced game? Clearly, it's Texas A&M in this with as we saw from this game. The funny thing is, you know, DePaul was in this game. I mean, granted, they were down 48-37 at the half. But to start the fourth quarter, A&M was up 25. As they led 78-53, again, A&M wins by 20, 95-75, and player that led them, and she's been great so far this year, Jordan Nixon with a game-high 25. They also got 21 from Kayla Wells, and a dozen each from Destiny Pitts, and oh, a familiar face, Kadeja Hoppy from St. John's. Well, I should say the St. John's transfer. Obviously, she's the AM now. And you know, it also helps, you know, they got eight points off the bench in 14 minutes from Sydney Roby. 19 bench points for the Aggies, which is 20% of their scoring. Meanwhile, DePaul didn't get anything for the bench. Uh, Doug Bruno only played three off the bench, and the most minutes anyone got off the bench was Deba Kelsia, the senior, played 19 minutes. The other two players he played off the bench only played 10 minutes combined. So, all 75 points came from the starters, led by 19 from Lexi Held. The senior was 6 of 14 for the field, 2 of 6 from 3. Also 2 for 6 from 3-point range. And going 6 of 10 from the field. Also, she grabbed 14 rebounds to finish with a double-double. Darion Rogers, Pretty solid game for her. Sonia Morris, 16 points. Went 0 for 4 from 3. 7 of 20 from the floor. So 16 points and 38 minutes of action. Meanwhile, Deja Church also had 14 points. Uh, like Rogers. She went just 2 of 9 from the floor. And DePaul, the story of this game, really struggled from the 3-point line. Just 4 for 23. They also shot just under 37% from the floor. Whereas Texas A&M, 46% from the field. And they knocked down 10 3-pointers on 24 attempts. Also had the rebounding edge, 52-36. So DePaul, they fall to 2-1. and one, But again... They schedule tough in their non-conference. I mean, I'll talk about it down the line. You know, for Feast Week, you know, they play three tough games in the Paradise Jam. I know the men's Paradise Jam is going down this weekend, and then the women will take over for their Paradise Jam on Thanksgiving. 
And Coach Bruno and the Blue Demons are going to be facing three solid teams. I guarantee two of them are legitimately great programs in Rutgers and Arizona. And Arizona was the national runner-up a year ago. So Coach Bruno, he's scheduling tough so he can get more appeal with his team in their tournament resume, which something I want to touch on is going to be important because of some news that came out. I'll get to that later on. But A&M, they win 95-75. So on Tuesday, Seton Hall played host to Lehigh. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to Lehigh, you know, this was a team that made the tournament last year out of the Patriot League. A criminally underrated group, I must say. And, you know, Lehigh was up three at the end of the first quarter, but Seton Hall, they roared back. They dropped 33 in the second, and... They were plus 17 in the second quarter to go up 49-35 at the break. But credit Lehigh, they got it down to five by the start of the fourth quarter as it was 68-63. But Seton Hall, they win 87-77 in a shootout. So I guess Seton Hall, this year, their MO, all about tempo and having a high-paced offense and an efficient offense. And in this game, they certainly were that. Andre Espinosa Hunter, a monster game. 22 points, 10 rebounds, 8 of 17 from the floor, 4 for 8 from behind the arc. Lauren Park Lane was solid too. 20 points, 7 assists. Didn't really shoot well from the field at 6 for 15. Was 1 of 3 from behind the arc. But, I mean, the fact that she only turned it over once... Great sign if you're Tony Bazella. Meanwhile, Maya Jackson only finished with, uh, I don't say only, I mean, considering she didn't have a great game out against Fordham, bounced back with 13 points, 3 of 9 from 3, 5 for 14 from the field. And the other two starters for the Pirates were in double figures. Sydney Cooks with 14 to go with 5 rebounds. And how about 10 points and 8 rebounds from Katie Armstrong, the Fairfield transfer. And, you know, she knocked down her only three-point attempt and went three for five from the floor. Uh, Coach B only used eight players in his rotation, you know, only bringing three off the bench. But he did get a lot out of Maya Bembry and Amari Wright. Each scored four points. Bembry was two for five, but Wright was a perfect two for two. Meanwhile, for Lehigh... You know, they were led by a game-high 23 from Mackenzie Kramer. Where did Seton Hall really win this game? I mean, you know, they shot really well from the floor, 47%. They also knocked down 10 three-pointers compared to just 9 for Lehigh. And Lehigh took 33s and making just those 9 good oh, for only 30%. Whereas for the, for the whole game, Lehigh was 43% from the floor. Meanwhile... Only two other Lehigh players were in double figures. 15 for Franny Hottinger. And Megan Walker had 12. But, you know, Lehigh, they got contributions from the bench. 
as they got 16 points from their bench compared to just the eight from Seton Hall. But but again, keep in mind, Lehigh used seven off the bench. Seton Hall uses half of that. But for Lehigh, that's their first loss. And for Seton Hall, that's a great bounce back win. And the reason why that's so important, because now they got a week to reset and recharge the batteries because, you know, the week of Thanksgiving, they're going to be in Mexico for two tough games, including against a a player who's undoubtedly going to be an All-American this year, and that's Caitlin Clark of Iowa, which, again, I'll touch on that whole thing later, obviously next week when, you know, so the Pirates will face the Hawkeyes on Thanksgiving Day, and then on Black Friday they face Toledo. But again, don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Meanwhile, the Butler Bulldogs are now 0-3. All three losses have come at home, and they've come by a combined 64 points. This time it's Ball State who beats them 70-56. And Butler, again, offense, offensive struggles were the story of this game. They scored just 17 in the first half. They got down 27-17. And then pace started picking up. Butler actually scored 19 in the third, which was more than they scored in the first two quarters combined. But Ball State, on the other hand, they scored 27 to take an 18-point lead into the fourth quarter. At 54-36, Ball State wins 70-56. And... For the Cardinals, their leading scorer was Anna Clef- uh, Clefon, who finished with 21 points, a game high. Meanwhile, only one other Cardinal in double figures, and that was China Latimer with 12. But Ball State got a lot from their bench as they scored a combined 23 points. Butler's bench only got 10 points. Leading scorer for the Bulldogs was freshman Kendall Wingler. And then another freshman, Alex Richard. You know, I feel like, you know, Richard's been a name I've been talking about a lot this season. You know, she's been pretty solid through the first three games. Averaging 13 points, which is very solid. And in this game, very efficient from the field at 6-for-7 and grabbed 5 rebounds. Wingler, on the other hand, knocked down 5 three-pointers on 10 attempts. Good for 50%. As a team, though, Butler was just 30% from three. Ball State wasn't that much better at eight for 36. Good for only 22%, but the Cardinals, they win the game. And, you know, part of the reason why Butler lost, I mean, free throws weren't good. He was just five for 10 from the charity stripe. As. Tenley Dowell had a two for two night from the line, and then the rest of the team is three for eight. You know, Richard was 0 for two, and then three for six from Zoe Jackson. I mean, and, and another player that, you know, I want to met, you know, Trinity White, another one of those freshmen, really struggled. Five points, eight rebounds, two for 11 from the floor, one of seven from three. Encouraging signs, though, in 28 minutes, they got six points off the bench from Amelia Sexton, all for behind the arc. However, just two for 10 from three, two for 11 from the floor, and then 
He got four points from Sidney Jaynes, who was two for three from the floor in 16 minutes. So Butler, bit of a rough start as they fall to 0-3. They have two more home games coming up in this season opening homestand. They got Austin P. I'll talk about that game on Saturday. And then right before Thanksgiving, they host SIU Edwardsville before they head on the road for their first, and I believe only non-conference road game. Actually, no, they have two road games in non-conference play, first of which comes at IUPUI on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then later on they'll go to Illinois. But the Bulldogs, yeah, 0-3 is not ideal. Speaking of that, Xavier unfortunately fell to 0-3 as they lost their home opener to Miami, Ohio, 77-73, and you could definitely pin the second quarter as a big contributing factor as to why the Red Hawks were able to win. The first and third quarters were even in scoring. Xavier had a one-point edge in the fourth, but it was a five-point edge in the second that gave Miami, Ohio an edge. And one player that had a monster game, Peyton Scott was brilliant. 28 points, a game high, 10 for 15 from the floor, 4 5 from 3. So she really carried the Red Hawks in this game. And then how about getting 12 crucial points off the bench from Jordan Tuff? And like Scott, 4 for 5 from 3. She shot the ball well, was 4 for 6 from the floor. She only played 12 minutes. You know, they really didn't get much from the rest of their starters. I mean, four points each from Tasia Foster-Walker and Amani Freeman. Eight points from Ivy Wolf and six from Maddie Kluse. But, you know, those bench contributions were extremely important as they got 27 points from the bench. As for Xavier, they got 22 points, which ain't bad either. And in an interesting move, Melanie Moore had Kay Satterfield come off the bench. And she looked pretty good in that role. 26 minutes, 6 for 10 from the field to finish with 14 points. Nia Clark was solid with 17 points. Struggled from 3 at 1 for 6. And, you know, really funny, you know, that I mentioned Marquette only took 7 threes against Southern. Xavier took 7 threes against Miami, Ohio. But they only made one of, one of them, which, again, was made by Clark. The only other player that took a three was Shyla Beeler, and she missed it. However, she did go four for five from the floor, finished with 10 points. Meanwhile, Ayana Townsend finished with 13 points, but did foul out. And then they got 11 points from Anaya Harris. So Xavier, bit of a tough one to swallow for them as they fall to 0-3. They lose to local rival Miami, Ohio by four. Meanwhile, St. John's got a big bounce back win. You know, like I was... On the fence, I really, I really didn't know who to pick between St. John's and Temple in Philly. And early on, looked like Temple was going to run away with this thing. They were up 26-16 after one. St. John's cut the lead in half by halftime. But it was a 23-11 fourth quarter that gave St. John's the edge to win it by 9. 76-67 and standout from this game, Kadeja Bailey, the senior, with 24 points. 
6 of 17 from the floor, but 4 for 8 from 3. And she made a lot of big plays in this game. Meanwhile, you got 10 points each from Danielle Cosgrove and Leilani Correa. Off the bench, though, important big contributions from Unique Drake and Danielle Patterson, each with 12 points. And Temple, you know, they played a high-paced game. It, it benefited them early, but St. John's is able to weather that storm. No pun intended. And they also had to weather 25 points from Maya Davis as she shot 10 of 16 from the field, 1 of 3 from beyond the arc. And she also grabbed 15 rebounds. And she wasn't the only owl with a double-double. The other one with a double-double was Alexa Williamson, who finished with 19 and 14 in this game. And then they got 11 from Giselle Thomas. But again, it's that bench contribution that really set St. John's apart as their bench compared to Temple's was plus 18. So the Red Storm, big bounce back win for Joe Tartamel and company winning in Philly. And moving on, Rhode Island, you know, I picked them to beat Providence and, you know, I was right on that. Rams win 66-53. They were up Eight at the break, 33-25. You know, Providence got it down to seven going into the fourth, but Rhode Island pulls away to win by 13 as Dolly Cairns finished with a game-high 21 off the bench in 27 minutes. Was on fire from three-point range at five for eight. Eight for 14 for the field, good for over 50%. And then how about the Seton Hall transfer? Desiree Elmore with 15 points. And 17 rebounds. And then they got 11 points each from Marie-Paul Foposi and Marta Vargas. Meanwhile for Providence, Mary Baskerville looked much better in this game. Finished with 15 points to lead the Friars to go with 11 rebounds for another double-double. However, she did foul out. Meanwhile, Janai Crooms with 14 and Alyssa Geary had 13. And then they only got 7 from the bench. Which, you know, when one of Rhode Island's players scores 21, yeah, that that's going to break your back a little bit. So the Rams, they stay undefeated. They go to 4-0. Providence falls to 1-2 and with both of, both of their losses coming at home. Meanwhile, in a bit of a shocker, Georgetown was beaten by Davidson. 70-55. You know, the way Davidson was looking early on this year, it looked like George. I mean, I thought I I thought I felt pretty good with Georgetown being my pick, but a slow start kind of doomed the Hoyas. They they only scored six points in the first quarter, thirteen in the second. By halftime, they were down thirty-seven to nineteen. You know, they got down to 13 going into the fourth, but at that point, you know, Davidson had really separated themselves, and it was too little too late. Wildcats win 70-55. Again, they get to 2-2 two and two on the year. While the Hoyas, that's their first loss. They fall to 2-1. and one. And El Sutphin was really good in this game. 17 points, 7 of 9 from the floor. And... 
And again, this is off the bench. She also went a perfect three for three from behind the arc. Speaking of important bench contributors, Issy Morgan, a freshman, chipped in 11 points in 28 minutes. Only two Wildcat starters were double figures, and that was Chloe Welch, the senior with 14, and then 10 from Cassidy Gould. I mean, he also got nine from Adelaide Fuller. And for the Hoyas, you know, they only had one player double figures, and that was Kelsey Ransom, who led the team in both rebounds and assists. Uh, she grabbed nine rebounds to go with seven assists, finished with 13 points in 31 minutes. You know, it wasn't a great night for, you know, Jillian Archer. Well, I, uh, Jillian Archer had a solid game. Nine points, six boards, three of five from the floor, one of two from three. One player that really struggled was Milan Bolden Morris. Just three points, all from the free throw line. So she went 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. Grace Ann Bennett was quiet with six points and fouled out. One for four from the field. And then Kaylin West went scoreless as she went 0 for 2 in 13 minutes. Off the bench, though, you know, they got some good contributions from Yasmin Ott. 24 minutes, nine points, knocked down her only three point attempt of the game and went three of four from the field. You know, it just wasn't Georgetown's night. They struggled shooting the balls. They were under 40%, 38.6 to be exact, just 31% from three, whereas Davidson shot 40% from behind the arc, made twice as many threes as Georgetown, and, you know, was around 45% from the field. So the Hoyas, that's their first L of the year. They fall to two and one. Meanwhile, Nebraska got to 4-0, defeating Creighton at home, 67-62. And, you know, Creighton had a, they mounted a furious comeback in the fourth quarter. You know, they were down 53-39 going into the fourth. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, Nebraska was only up one after one, but, you know, they used a big second quarter to go up 33-20 at the break. But, you know, credit Creighton for fighting back. But in the end, you know, just too little, too late. And it just wasn't good enough in this game. Blue Jays fall to 1-2. and two. They fall to Nebraska 67-62. For the Blue Jays, Carly Batchelor, the junior, was really good in this game. 17 points, 11 rebounds for a double-double. 5 for 11 from the floor, 1 for 2 from 3. As a whole, though, Creighton really struggled shooting the ball from behind the arc. They were just 5 of 19 from 3. Nebraska wasn't that much better at 5 for 20. And finally, is Creighton owned Nebraska on the glass, winning fifty-four, winning that rebounding battle, 54-42. Neither team shot the ball particularly well from the field. But Nebraska, it helps when you shoot 22 of 31 from the charity stripe, whereas your opponent, Creighton, 15 of 26 which is under 60%. Meanwhile, off the bench, they got some great play from Morgan Maley. The sophomore finished with 16 points in 26 minutes, 5 of 15 from the field, 3 of 10 from 3. Tatum Rembaugh chipped in 12, 5 of 14 from the floor in 28 minutes. You know, other notable contributors... Emma Ronziak with nine to go with eight rebounds. And then you got eight off the bench from Molly Mogensen. 
For Nebraska, player that led the way was Sam Habe with 15. And how about 11 off the bench from Alexis Markowski, the freshman? You know, Nebraska, they got quite a bit from the bench. 25 points from the bench compared to 24 from Creighton. So each team got pretty good bench contributions. But Nebraska, you know, they do enough to win the game. And trust me, Nebraska thought they were going to coast. But Creighton, you know, they furiously came back. But again, that comeback effort came up short. (coughs) Excuse me. So, you know, I know that trying to hype up moral victories is fading away, if you will. But, you know, you got to take some positives in games like this where you play a superior opponent and put up a fight like you did. So I think if you're Jim Flannery Company, obviously you're, you wish you had got the win, but the fact that his players didn't give up, that's a positive to take with you for the rest of the non-conference schedule, and then into Big East play. So that was the action around Big East women's hoop during the week. Now, looking ahead to this weekend, kind of a, a sleeper showdown of undefeated teams on Friday night going down in Boulder as Colorado play host to Marquette. And Colorado, this is their home opener. They started the year with a pair of road victories at Oklahoma State and at Air Force. Didn't win win either of those games by that much. They won by 10 at Oklahoma State and they won by 5 at Air Force. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. Mainly due to the fact that they like keeping things low scoring. Well, I I don't know if Marquette wants to keep it low scoring, but I mean, given how they played last game against Southern, they can play a grinded out type game against a team like Colorado. I think just Colorado's better at that, and I don't think it's necessarily Marquette's forte to do that, given that before the Southern game, they scored 96 against Alcorn State, 90 against NJIT. So... My gut's telling me Colorado. I'm going with the Buffs. But, you know, I talked about Feast Week. And and the women's battle for Atlantis, which is the first ever for that. And UConn's going to be a part of it, as they should be. That You want to build a blockbuster battle for Atlantis on the women's side? Well, that's how you do it. So the bracket again it starts with UConn you know, again they play at noon on Saturday on on Saturday November 20th they'll face Minnesota which I'm expecting them to win. I mean most of the time I'm expecting them to win any game they play in this season really. And then they'll play again I'm assuming that they beat Minnesota They'll face the winner between South Florida and Syracuse. Both teams are pretty good. You know, one of the more high-quality programs in the in, in the country in women's basketball. 
you know, now that South Florida, now that UConn's left the AAC, South Florida, I believe, has emerged as the clear best team and best program in that conference. Syracuse, you know, you know, this team was in the national championship game just a few years ago. I mean, let's not forget that. You know, this this South Florida team, you know, they played and lost at Tennessee earlier in the week. They should have had that game and they lost. So, I mean, who's better on paper? Probably USF. So I'm guessing UConn's going to face USF and win that game. Now, for a potential championship game, to have a number one versus number two type showdown in the title game against South Carolina would be huge. However, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions because, you know, there's a lot of good teams in women's college hoops, and one of them is Oregon, and Oregon will probably face South Carolina in a semifinal game there. I'm guessing South Carolina is going to win. So we have a no- we could have a number one versus number two showdown in the championship game of the women's paradise, uh, Battle for Atlantis, excuse me. And... You know, if that's the case, I mean, South Carolina is really, really good. You know, South Carolina, you know, they were so close to getting to the championship game a year ago. You know, losing to Stanford. I mean, some's telling me South Carolina should win that game. But again, UConn is going to have the best player on the floor no matter what. In Paige Beckers. So, I mean, I'm I'm going to go with Paige Beckers and UConn winning at the Battle for Atlantis. And, again, that path to winning at, the par- at Battle for Atlantis will be wins against Minnesota, USF, and South Carolina. Meanwhile, for the rest of the weekend, Butler is taking on Austin P at home, as I mentioned. The Governors... So far, they've lost at Evansville, but have since won two in a row. They beat Pikeville by 29, and they beat North Alabama by 16. You know, based on Butler's start, I mean, you gotta. If you go 0 5 on this homestand, it'll be a major disappointment. So in this game, I mean, who's who do I think is going to win? I mean, I hate to do this again, but like, I mean, based on what's happened with Butler, I mean, 0-3 start, it's awfully hard for me to, you know, go with them in a game like this. So I'm going to I'm going to have to go with Austin P. Meanwhile, Boston College taking on Providence, BC lost their most recent game at Boston U on Wednesday, but they do have wins against Harvard and Holy Cross. Meanwhile, Providence, their only win came at at Maine in overtime, and they've lost at home to Yale and URI. Better team on paper is probably Boston College. So I'm probably going to end up picking BC to win. 
Now, Villanova's back after over a week off, visiting St. Joe's in their first Big Five game of the year. The Hawks, they started with a win against Maryland Eastern Shore, but since lost back-to-back games at Drexel and at Monmouth. I think if the Wildcats really want to, you know, get the ball rolling this year, I mean, after losing to Princeton and Maryland, got to win a game like this at St. Joe's, an an inner-city rival. And I think they will. I trust head coach Denise Dillon and the rest of her team to to go into that game at Hagen Arena and win. And by the way, if you haven't seen the St. Joe's Hawk yet, you should. I mean, it's one of the strangest, most unique and funny traditions in all of college basketball where their mascot, fittingly, a person in a Hawk costume... Basically, they're expected to quote-unquote flap their wings for the entirety of an event. So in in this case, in a basketball game, flap for all 40 minutes before, during, and after the game. And apparently, from what I know, they're on scholarship. Which they should be for the kind of effort they have to exert for this. But, you know, that's a tangent. Anyways... St. John's hosting Yale, and again, this Yale team beat Providence, and you know, since then they've beaten Northeastern, also in overtime, and they beat Sacred Heart. They've kind of been gutting these games out. St. John's has looked much better after their loss to Stony Brook. You know, at Carneseca, I like the Johnnies in this game to hand Yale their first loss. Speaking of an Ivy League Big East showdown, Columbia's women's team is taking on Georgetown on Sunday at McDonough Arena. Columbia's look good. You know, they beat uh, Hampton to start the year and then followed that up with road wins at Davidson, who Davidson just beat Georgetown. And they also won at Clemson by four. This Columbia team's pretty good. So, you know, my gut pick, I mean, looking at who they've beaten, I'm going to go with Columbia and a bit of a stunner. Meanwhile, Xavier's hosting Valpo. Valpo's 0-3, like Xavier, so the uh, three losses for Valpo have come against Miami, Ohio, Central Michigan, and Michigan State. At the Cintas Center, I know it was disappointing not beating Miami, Ohio in their home opener. I'm going to go with X beating Valpo. And then a Big Ten Big East showdown at Wintrust Arena as DePaul's going to play host Northwestern. This Northwestern team's off to a 3-0 start. They've beaten UIC, UC Santa Barbara, and Loyola Chicago. You know, I'm expecting DePaul protect their home court. I think, overall, I think they're the better team. Northwestern, I think they're going to make this a ball game, but I think in the end, I think the Blue Demons will be too much to deal with. I'm going with DePaul winning at home. I got Faith and Doug Bruno and company. And then finally, Creighton playing host to South Dakota State. Creighton's two losses that both come on the road at Drake and at Nebraska. Two tightly contested games. South Dakota State, their only win came at home against Green Bay, and they've lost on the road at Mississippi State, which they took one of the best programs in the country down to the wire and lost by five, and then they lost by 19 at Iowa State. So South Dakota State, their only win is at home, and they've lost both games on the road. Creighton has won their only home game of the year and have lost twice on the road. Based on just simple logic, just based on those 
numbers and figures, I'm going to go with the Blue Jays beating the Jackrabbits in Omaha. So before I go, you know, I definitely want to touch on this now that this news is official. The NCAA Women's Tournament is now officially expanding to 68 teams to match that format of the men's tournament. And, you know, I'm going to quote Russ Steinberg again on this because he's right on this. The women's tournament needed to have its own uniqueness in the sense that they don't need to adopt 6018 format. Although that 6018 format will allow for four more at large bids. But the overall logistics of all of it doesn't make sense. Because they're still planning on having, you know, these pods where top four seeds in each region are going to be hosting opening weekend games for the first and second rounds. So by default, that means teams that get in as part of that first four, or in this case, a last four in who would play in the first four, by default, that would make them 13 seeds which Russ Steinberg is absolutely right on that. So that kind of, you know, dampens the overall feel. Like, let's just say, like, a Seton Hall makes it in as one of the last four in, and they have to play in the first four, and they're a 13 seed. Like, that doesn't sound right at all. Not to mention, they want to have the selection show on Sunday. Like, do they not realize that everyone is only, if, if they're going to choose whether to watch the women's selection show or the men's selection show, the casual fan is going to pick the men's show every single time. If you want to have eyes drawn to the women's game and on the women's tournament, you can't have them compete directly with the men because they are going to lose. It's like when, and again, I hate the fact that I have to, you know, use a wrestling analogy. When NXT, WWE's developmental territory, tried competing in the ratings with All Elite Wrestling on Wednesday nights, NXT got their ass kicked because AEW is an established product. The women's side of college basketball, it's still growing. It needs more time. It's growing, but it hasn't quite been established, even though it should be. It still hasn't been quite established as the men because the men's tournament has been going on for nearly for over 80 years. The NCAA has only had a women's tournament for about four decades now. A formal NCAA. I know there was an AIAW tournament back in the late 70s where Immaculata was dominating, but there wasn't a formal NCAA women's basketball tournament. Until the until like the until like the eighties. So I understand the NCAA's ambition. I get it. But doing this, they're inadvertently undermining what they're trying to lift up, which is NCAA women's basketball. And again, I say inadvertently because I know that's not what they're trying to do. But that's what's happening here. So, again, 
I understand the logic, you know, 68 teams, you know, you want to have it be similar or equal to what the men are doing, but, you know, you know, like the, like the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. At least that's my MO. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Igloo, and I guess that was the, I guess you could call that the icebreaker segment to end the show. So, I'm going to have my complete recap of the Gavit games on the next episode of the Igloo. It was a good start for the Big East. Wasn't a great Wednesday, but I'm hoping that the Big East will at least split Thursday night's action. Again, Xavier and DePaul are at home tonight. So, we're hoping for a split. Again, Xavier's hosting 19th ranked Ohio State. And DePaul's hosting Rutgers. So, two non-tournament teams from last year hosting two tournament teams from a year ago. Fingers crossed that the, that the Big East will pull it out and not finish with a split in the Gavit games this year. They never won it outright. This is the chance. Let's go, Big East. Let's do it. So until next time, this is Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will catch you all tomorrow.